0: We're going to be back in Acts chapter 2, following up with last week. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, you can open it up, keep it in front of you. What would you say? Preach Purdy? Preach purdy? Mm, thank you. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 36 through 47, but we're really going to kind of zero in on verses 42 through 47. So we uh, started last week asking the question why be a part of a church like there's so many things that take your time and attention so um why be a part of a church well we're made for community so we kind of need one another why the church and acts gives some valuable insight for us so this is acts chapter two starting in verse 36 god's word to us again this morning This is the close of Peter's first sermon. So this is like the last thing that he says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, Father, as we come to this ancient text, we know that your word is It's sharp as a two-edged sword, and it cuts and it divides, and it does so for the sake of healing and bringing wholeness. So we ask that you would do just that, and Lord Jesus, that we would see you, that you would open um, open a window into your space and not just allow us to peer, to, to look upon you, but rather that we would know that you were present, intimately present with us right now by your Spirit. For we ask it in your name. Amen. So, what is the church is what we were talking about last week. And this is what we said looking at the text, coming out of the text, and trying to examine what the text has to say about that question. So the church is to be a community formed around Jesus that is reanimated by the life of Jesus. And so we threw out three questions. The first was, what draws the community? Then what grows the community? What empowers the community? We just looked at the first of those last week. What draws the community? And when we talk about what draws a community, we have to ask what attracts us because drawing and attraction are a connected concept and we said the the attraction is from God God is doing the attracting somehow in a way that we don't fully understand it is it is he's the one that draws attraction is from God attraction of the community the community itself was attractive and so the church community is attractive yet the real draw is attraction to the core we have one main attraction so that's what we looked at last week. This week, what grows the community and what empowers it? What grows it? Well, what are these people, and this is somewhat rhetorical. You can think about it. What, what drew the, what, what is it that grew these people? What were they doing in Acts chapter 2? And there's a lot that's happening here. And We're going to discuss a fair amount of it. You're never going to plumb the depths of what is taking place here. We're going to look at it, but as an overall idea, it all involves this. What grows a community? It's reorientation. There's a reorientation that's taking place. A community grows together as they are reoriented for a greater purpose and then reoriented in the community. So, so this reorientation for a greater purpose, who benefits from this church community? Well, This thing that is starting, obviously the people that are part of it are benefiting from it, right? But who else benefits from this community being formed in ancient Jerusalem? What? The, The Jerusalem, the community around the church, right? They are beneficiaries of the community of Jesus being formed. So in light of this, I'm going to make a little bit of a jump, but I think it's a reasonable, legitimate takeaway. And it's this, cities and neighborhoods should benefit when Jesus' communities form within them. So a famous contemporary pastor talks about if your church goes away, they should have to raise taxes in your city. You get that idea? Yeah. No, does someone say no? So your, your church should be so giving to the community that if your church were to go away, they're going to have to say, oh my goodness, what we need to make up for what, has gone away. I mean, we look at that. I look at what happens, like it. Okay, talk about one thing at this church uh, what happens out at Logavista, the gift that they have been to that community, right? We are made for the benefit of others. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who has moved to Loveland, or Longmont just south of us, to start a new church. He moved there maybe a couple years ago, and the church is going to really get going this year. And it struck me, and I had the privilege of talking to different kind of pastors and people that are starting churches. It struck me, talking to him, that planting a church is just too small of a vision, it's just too small of a vision. And what do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus, Jesus' life grabs us, he draws us into what he's doing, which is, what is Jesus doing? He's bringing the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. That's what he has come to do. That involves bringing good to the world around us. As that mission reorients us, it stirs a desire to see people and places become more whole, healed, healed to become a better version of themselves. I mean, there's lots of different ways to talk about this. This is, But this is what it does to us. It's what gives birth to values like wanting to be hospitable, wanting to be welcoming, to care for the vulnerable and the humbled, wanting each other to be unleashed, to serve, to go to Lebanon, or go wherever it is that God is calling. It sets us free to do these things. So sure, when when Jesus' community starts and old ones are growing, These are good things as long as they are being reoriented for something bigger than just themselves. This was God's original design. And we could look at this in lots of places, like in the creation account itself. I think we see this. But then you get a few chapters into the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12. And there's a guy named Abram. Who Later, God changes his name to Abraham, and he says this. He says this to Abraham. God does. The Lord does. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to, listen, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Yes, we want this. Why is God doing this? So that you will be a blessing. This was the original design. What does growth look like? It looks like being reoriented for a greater purpose than just pursuing our own increase in health. That's what growth looks like. Yet this growth and this reorientation happens, and in the text we see it happened in the community. Okay, you don't just go, it happens, the growth actually happens in the community. What were they doing to grow, and what was happening as they were growing? Like, were they doing this to grow, or were they doing this because they were growing? Yes, I think both of those things are true. So, verses 42 through 47 has a description. It's telling us what happened, not necessarily prescriptive. So, descriptive as opposed to prescriptive, what to do. Now, the beginning of the text, it does have prescriptions. They were cut to the heart, and Peter says, Repent. Be baptized. Believe the story is for you. He's prescribing what to do. But this next part, verses 42 and on, is more descriptive. And I think we need to step back and learn what is it, when they heard this gospel story, what was provoked out of them? How did they start living? Now, having said that, there are some very essential things for growth, and I think we do see those things here. There, there are three interconnected aspects that we want to just briefly touch on. And they are this devotion to something. How do they grow? And what does growth look like? Devotion to some things, restoration and celebration. And we're just going to walk through verses 42 through 47. So, verse, verse 42 begins with they were devoted to what? Apostles' teaching fellowship breaking of, bread. breaking of bread and prayer and i know this is descriptive it's not saying go and do this that's not what peter or not what luke is saying or what peter was saying but these are essential ingredients okay we can't get away from that they're essential ingredients so a uh, devoted devoted to each of these things each of these things are a 12 Week sermon, okay? So we're not going to delve into the details of it, but we do want to do an overview. They were devoted to the apostles' teach, teaching. This is devotion to a certain explanation of who Jesus is as the king and the rescuer. The Apostle, it's not just an historic account of Jesus, it's a theological account of Jesus. It's an explanation of who Jesus is. The Apostles not only walked with Jesus and were witnesses of his teaching, life, his death, and his resurrection, they also explained him in light of a much larger story, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, They're explaining. That's what Peter's first sermon was. It was explaining Jesus in light of that bigger story. We're going to look at this a little bit more in a few minutes. We talk about what empowers us. But this is a critical piece just at this moment of what grows us. It's swimming in the story of Scripture that leads to Jesus. That's what reorients us. So then, as we swim in this, we don't swim alone alone. We swim in fellowship with each other, right? This is that word koinonia that maybe if you've been around the church long enough, you've heard that word, connection and participation. The Christian life is not just an individual relationship. It is communal. That's how it's designed. Growth happens in fellowship, and fellowship is the result of growth. And then growth also involves devotion to the breaking of bread together, which is a combination of both fellowship and the apostles' teaching. It's kind, of, it's kind of bringing these two things together. Part of fellowship is just sharing normal life with each other. It's sharing meals together. It's sitting at a table together. And that being literally sitting at the table together, but also metaphorically doing our life together. And also sharing the meal that Jesus gave us when he said, this is my body and this is my blood do this in remembrance of me that is such a weird thing that we do as a church isn't it it's it's odd if you're not a part of the church you and maybe even if you are you're like that is that isn't that is an oddity but when we do it together we're reminding each other of what centers us right we become what we eat and drink when we eat and drink him he's giving us this meal it's so valuable. Yes, I know it's weird, but it's so powerful for us. He gives this to us. And then there is devotion to prayer, communing not just with each other around him, but communing with him personally and corporately. Yes, it is praying in your closet. Jesus talks about that, but it's also us gathering together and communing with him, prayer, Devotion to these things grow us, and they are the result of growth as well. They reorient us in the community. They are what some would call, I don't know if you've heard this term before, the ordinary means of grace, this is something theologians have talked about for years. They're ways God has given to us to help us know and to hear and to follow Jesus. They're not magical. They really are powerless in and of themselves, but infused by the Spirit, they become supernatural. They're means of grace. If you're having a tough time growing as a disciple, so maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I'm just, I'm just. I don't know. I'm wrestling with this whole being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It may help to examine our lives and to see if you're taking advantage of these means. Like the Christian life is not rocket science. There's some basic things that God gives us so that we might connect with him. And when we exercise them over time and community, he grows us up. It's not necessarily a quick fix, right? It may be something you're, you engage with these things, right? In the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, you're engaging This like, I'm not seeing a change in my life. Keep doing it. It's what means of grace do. And over time, God continues to cultivate and mold and shape and reshape us, not only as individuals, but as a community of people. All right, so devotion to these things is is, is, cr- is critical for us. And then... We get into this next part, 43 through 45. Luke says, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then... The beginning of verse forty-seven, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So God was doing signs and wonders through the apostles, uh, presumably like what Jesus did. We don't get an account directly in this text of what they did, but presumably they were doing the things that Jesus was doing, which was what? Well, healing physical problems, restoring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, health to the sick. Which would have all restored people's positions in society and relationships and community, right? It's about them becoming whole, but it's also about them being restored because when you're, when you're a leper, you do not participate in the community. When you are healed, you get to participate in the community. And then, so that's God's doing. Then, as a community, they were caring for each other and those around them. They were selling their stuff. They were giving as people had need. In the midst of all this, we have verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day. He was restoring people into this community as they were cut to the heart and they were repenting and being baptized and they were believing the story was for them. They were then also included in the community God was adding to them. So what is all of this? This is all restoration. It's almost recreation. Recreation. It's pushing back the repercussions of a broken world and broken relationships, and it's recreating a new humanity that cares more for their neighbors than themselves. That's a different kind of community. This is growth in how we grow. By inviting people into a family and living as a family is this body of interconnected serving people who give up so that others can gain, who stoop down in order to raise others up. This is restoration and it's acts of recreation. This is beautiful. It's a reanimated life from the life of the center. That is a beauty if you ever get to taste it. And hopefully as you live in community, you get to see at least glimpses of this kind of reanimated life. There's a beauty to it. And then from there, verses 46 and the beginning of 47, from from here we see the day by day attending at the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. They were celebrating. Growth looks like celebration, and celebration is the result of growth. There's a spirit of gratitude and awe and worship. Celebration is essential for growth, and it's the indicator of it. Through all of this reorientation, God is reanimating us to be a new kind of people. This is what we are to be, and this is how he goes about reanimating us. So let me ask this. Who told them to do it this way? I already talked about this at the beginning, so Paul, Peter says some things to do, but who told them to do it? Who told them to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer? Does it say anywhere in the text? It, it, it doesn't say anywhere. It doesn't say anybody told them. So the real question is, what empowered the community to live this way? Well... Somebody's saying it, yes. If, if, we're, if we want to be faithful to the text, which is what we want to do, you go back to the beginning, and Jesus sent who? The Spirit to indwell his people. What is the power for this stuff happening? What's provoking, provoking this kind of a life? The Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, what the, that's what the text says. So I want to follow that up with, how is he doing that? How is the Spirit doing this? Well, I feel like sometimes, for myself, maybe you can't relate, but I feel like sometimes I treat and think about the Holy Spirit more like a wizard. I want him to wave his magic wand to change beliefs and behaviors, but that's not really the picture I think that Scripture gives of what the Spirit's role is. He is the personal presence and the power of God, but how does he actually work this power in us it's not that we're going to fully understand this, but we can understand some things about the Spirit's work. In part, because Jesus tells us what the Spirit's role is, and back in John chapter 14 and other places. In part, he enlightens us and he provokes us and he presses something into us. This is the, the Spirit is active in us, okay? He's not passive, he's active. What is that? It must have something to do with the apostles' teaching because the message is what the community was devoted to hearing and fellowshipping and feasting and praying around. The message was. The Spirit's work is not separate from that. It's integrated into that. It's not that we have the work of the message and the work of the Spirit. We have the work of the Spirit through the message. There's no dissecting these things. So this... Apostolic teaching is what drew the community together in the first place, which is, of course, and I say of course because if we're just reading the text, we would see it. It's about the person and the work of Jesus. It's about his fullness of who he is. And and it's the fullness of who he is because they were rehearsing and they were retelling the Hebrew scriptures and they were retelling the human story something much bigger they're retelling these things in light of Jesus it was reimagining life in light of God ruling the world listen this is what it was okay this may sound crazy but it was it was reimagining the world in light of God ruling it through a crucified and risen Jewish man that's a little bizarre <laughs> that's the message um, N.T. Wright is a contemporary theologian, and he's written a ton of stuff, most of which I have not read, um, because his books are like 8,000 pages. He wrote a book most recently, I think it's the most, re- most recent one I'm familiar with, is Paul, a biography. And I was talking about this several months ago, and I said I was slowly reading through the book and hadn't finished I'm still slowly reading through the book and haven't finished it, okay? But in the midst of it, so he's talking about Paul and what he, how Paul communicated the gospel. And I will say, I, I, would, I would propose that the Bible says, Paul's message of the gospel is the same thing that the early church had as the message of the gospel. Okay, And I know there's maybe some debate about that, but I, I think that's what Scripture actually says, and that's what N.T. Wright would believe as well. So in this book, he says this. This was indeed how the word gospel would be heard right across the Roman, Roman world of the day as the announcement of a new emperor. Okay, I think sometimes we, pause, this is not into right, this is Joey. So I think sometimes we think about the gospel as some like almost hyper-spiritual thing. He's saying this is like, uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is about the proclamation of a new emperor in the time of Caesar's. Okay? That's how they would have heard it. So he goes on. Paul's proclamation was not then a fresh twist on a regular teaching work of the local Jewish community. He wasn't offering advice on how to lead a more moral life. He certainly wasn't telling people how to go to heaven when they died. He was making the all-time one-off announcement Israel's hope has been fulfilled. The king has been enthroned. He was declaring that the crucified Jesus was Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He's king. Like, really king. The Holy Spirit is stirring hearts and imaginations and provoking people to be awakened and reborn and reformed through encounters with this person as God's person. The apostles' teaching that the Holy Spirit is revealing and pressing into us is a culmination of this epic, epic story. So can I retell the story? Will you allow me? Will you? Okay, all right. You know I'm going to anyway, but... It's just fun to at least get your approval, I guess. (laughs) The story says God made the world good and made us in his image to enjoy it and to spread and to cultivate his goodness throughout creation as a community. It's not good for man to be alone. We love to talk about that in the context of marriage, which it is, but it's a lot bigger than that too. We are not meant to be alone. We are made for community. And we are made to be as ambassadors of spreading his goodness to the world to the world around us. Tragically, we broke away and we kept breaking away and keep breaking away with the hopes of creating a greater good by doing what is right in our own eyes. The result being we brought destruction and harm to ourselves and our neighbors, causing us to sink into the chaotic waters of self-rule that drown us. And yet, the story goes on. I mean, we could have just ended at chapter 3 of the Bible. Fortunately, it didn't end that way. The story goes on. God pursued us, wanting to share his home here with us. Not necessarily to pull us out of this, but to share his home with us here and as time passed he reached out and he called the people for himself and he blessed them so that they could be a blessing to the nations that's what we read about with the abram thing back in genesis 2 repeatedly he says i want to give you good i want to restore this place i want to restore this world with my goodness and with my order i want this for you i want to give you myself and my life so that you can get back to living the good life with each other This is a running theme within, it's a heartbeat, I would even say, of the biblical narrative. Yet, in his persistence and patience, we kept resisting, and we kept rebelling. We kept and we keep redefining good and evil on our own terms to serve our own interests. Like, if you don't get anything else from the biblical narrative, that's one that just kind of stands out, I think. We don't want for God to reorient us. We want to define our orientation. And we do this in so many areas of our life. So God, after sending many different kinds of messengers and prophets throughout time, finally he spoke to us and actually he came to us in his son. Jesus is the work and he is the story of God Made flesh. He's not just the promise fulfilled, he's the promise keeper come to live with us and to restore us. Jesus talks about this at the beginning of his ministry. He quotes some Isaiah passage, right? And then when John the Baptist um, sends some of his guys to him to say, hey, are you really the one? Jesus says, go tell John what you hear and you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Bless is the one who's not offended by me. I've come to bring the restoration of God to the world. And yet with all of this, this is good stuff, this is the kind of person that we want to follow i i think with all this grace and goodness we are consistent to our self-justifying self-preserving preserving nature when he showed up to care for us we cast him out of our garden we cast him out of our city out of our communities we cast him out of our world our hatred and rejection of god was not something new It was seen throughout the whole story of humanity. But this is what is new. We actually killed him in the flesh this time. This was the physical manifestation of the rebellious disposition that we seem to all possess. This Jesus, whom the human race crucified, rose from the dead. He was vindicated as the righteous one. And like, like Peter said in the sermon, this one God made both Lord and Christ, the one whom Joey crucified. Somehow all of this is part of a master plan. Have any of you seen the TV show Undercover Boss? I think that's the name of it. I, I have, don't think that I have, but I get the idea. The boss dresses up and goes and lives normal life with his employees. And <clears throat> I imagine he reveals himself at the end, and people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it's the boss. I think sometimes maybe we think that's what God does. Like at the end, Jesus tears off his Mac and said, ta-da, it was me all along. I got gotcha. you. Right? It's not what he's doing. It's not at all what he's doing. He was using this as a means to accomplish his plan. To work for our good. To forgive us, to restore us, to make us new if we are indeed cut to the heart by the beauty of Jesus. This story with its infinite facets of which we're just scratching the surface. This is why we need to keep going back to the apostolic teaching and look at all of scripture in light of Jesus. We need to keep saturating ourselves in this as we continue to do this. The Spirit empowers us, and part of his power is to reveal the beauty of the epic story that leads to Jesus and to press his life into us. This is how we grow deeper together and what compels us and unleashes us to move out into our neighborhoods and to move out into new neighborhoods and new cities and move out into the world. This is, this is the motive. This is the fuel for it. And who knows, maybe as we do this, God will add to the number of people who are being saved. Maybe he'll do that. Maybe he will draw people to himself. And maybe he will build new communities right here. Maybe he'll start new Jesus communities in our neighborhoods. Maybe he will use us to start new Jesus communities around the world who are then reanimated by his life and who will then also work for the flourishing of the world around them. Father, give us your Son. He is the imprint of your glory. He is the way, the truth, and the life in a real tangible way. This is how we get to know you, and it is how we have the access of your personal presence and power of the Spirit. We need to see Jesus, and we need to feast on him so that he might reorient us to himself, he might reanimate us by his life, and he might unleash us and send us into the world. If We ask this in your name. Amen.